going to read in Luke. The first one is Luke uh, 1, 46 to 55, and the second passage is Luke 2, 6 to 7. So you can read along on the screens with us this morning. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His deeds, no, I'm sorry, his mercy extends for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And then the second passage is Luke 2, 6-7, where it says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So what are the best Christmas movies or Christmas TV specials? Elf, Elf Home Alone, Die Hard. Die Hard, yeah. That is a Christmas movie. Uh, what about A Charlie Brown Christmas, yeah? The Grinch? Does anybody watch It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, some of you do, eh? What about A Christmas Story, Muppet Style? Yeah, okay, thank you, thank you. Christmas Carol, right? They're all great stories, but they're not the story, if you know what I'm saying. Um, in, the, in the midst of all the modern Christmas stories, we have the original story. The one that, in, in the real way, actually has given birth to all the others. When we look in the New Testament, we actually see that there are two accounts of the Christmas narrative. There is one account that is the... the um, um, it's, 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 I'm, I'm a little bit scrambled here. Hang on. Scholars. I make him nervous. Yeah, I know. Okay. Scholars actually debate over the two accounts, the two narratives that are there, um, because they kind of approach the stories from different ways. Matthew uh, approaches the Christmas story from Joseph's viewpoint. And uh, Luke tells Mary's side of the story. Now, Matthew's story is the way that a man would tell it. You tracking with me? Luke is interesting because he emphasizes the things that a woman would consider important. Now, I have to explain my point. That's why I've asked Sharon to be here today. When I uh, recall, um, we were waiting for the arrival of our firstborn son, or actually all four of our sons for that matter. Um, what would happen is that we would go to the hospital. She would say, I think the baby's coming. We'd go to the hospital. Uh, the baby is born. Of course, I would pick up the phone. I would begin to phone the important family members and say, he is here. And uh, his name is, you know, Josh, uh, Jordan, James, or Jesse. And as far as I was concerned, that was informative enough for the people on the other side of the phone. If you're tracking with me, guys, right? We covered all perspective, all, everything is there. The baby's arrived. We're healthy. We're doing well. Goodbye. That's it. Ladies, on the other hand, have a different perspective. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
Um, I guess you want me to tell it, so I'll start with I'll start with Josh. What women do for men? Because Jerry went to Russia for three weeks, and the doctor recommended I have what they called in those days a social induction, which meant that so I would, it's my fault my that I would be born, induced basically. on the Friday because the baby was actually supposed to be born the week that he was gone. So we went ahead with that, and. Um, we had a very beautiful little boy that you only saw for maybe two days and then you left for three weeks. But he was amazing. I'm a bad dad. Uh, he That's still is amazing. But Josh, yeah, Josh was special to me because he made me a mom. I wouldn't have been a mom without, well, I guess I would have been later, but he originally made me a mom. Mm -hmm. So there was something, I remember we were working at Calvary Temple and after Josh was born, he was born about five o'clock in the afternoon and I invited the entire staff of Calvary Temple to come to a party to bring pizza to my delivery room. I remember that, and uh, you thought I was crazy. Jordan, on the other hand, when he was born, I remember, I remember we had him in Victoria, and we called, we called Winnipeg, and I remember saying to my mom, the baby's name is Jordan. And she said, wow, that's a strange name for a little girl. And I remember saying that, and I thought through that, and it was because in my family, everybody had a boy and a girl, and boy, were they surprised when we ended up with four boys. So that was kind of Jordan's story, and I remember you kind of holding him, and you held him upside down, and Gosh. I think he was upside down for a couple hours, actually, before I woke up and saw that. I fell asleep with them in my arms. Yes. Sorry. Yes. That's why Jordan's so smart. Now we know. All the blood was rushing to his head. James was born on Mother's Day. And I remember um, that morning I went in and he was my third son. And when he was born, I remember the doctors and nurses coming around in Victoria and they said, wow, you're so excited. I've never seen somebody so excited about having their third child that's the same sex as the first two. And I remember saying... This child is born on Mother's Day, and he will always be super special. I was over the world, over the moon with, with, with James. And then Jess, when he was born, well, it was a Tuesday night, and um, I mean, I'm being detailed. Tuesday night, and somebody actually from this congregation was over at the house for a piano lesson. Nicole Sneath. <coughs> and uh, she was talking me, to me at the door as she was leaving, and I just remember thinking, I'm going to have this baby right here in the doorway if you don't go. And she, she wasn't married yet or anything, so I didn't want to tell her I was having contractions, but I had just about an hour and a half after. And uh, it was pretty amazing. Women, women remember things a whole lot different, I'll tell you. I, for me, it was very simple. And I, what I like about Luke, and, and he actually does write from a detailed perspective, um, and the reason I think that Luke writes that way, obviously, is not because he's a woman, but because he was a doctor. High in detail. And when we look at our culture, we know that babies are born. Obviously, babies are born to rich people. They're born to poor people. Babies are born uh, during hurricanes, during tornadoes, during floods, during earthquakes. There's all these crazy stories about babies being born. They're born in cities. They're born in towns. They're born out in the country. They're born under siege. We read about that in the news. In refugee camps. In countries that are led by dictators. In democracies. 
They're born to people with black skin, with brown skin, with white skin, with many variations and hues of skin. They're born to single women, married women. They're, they're born to, to people who are prepared for them. They're, there are even stories of women who didn't know that they were pregnant until they went into labor. I still, as a man, can't fathom that. But it's there. Babies are born healthy. They're also born with medical challenges, diseases, deformities, disabilities. Babies are born every single day, every single conceivable condition in our complex world. UNICEF goes so far, they estimate that an average of 4.3 babies are born every second of every single day, somewhere on this planet that we share. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that nuts? Every time a baby is born, lives are changed. Individuals are changed. Families are changed. Worlds are actually turned upside down. And the fact is that there's always, always a story. Yes, we're in the fourth Sunday of Advent. We have the story. It's a key player in the birth of Jesus. Somebody who had to be on board with absolutely everything that was about to happen. And somebody whose love would change everything. And that was Mary, when you think about it. The love of a mother. Sharon read the passage earlier. That it's called the Magnificent. It's a passage of scripture that tells us how, how Mary responded to this unexpected, this confusing news that she was pregnant. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God. You know, magnify is an interesting term. Some of your translations will use the word glorify, but I always think of it like this. To magnify God is to live your life in a way that makes God's love for the, the world even bigger and more obvious to the people who surround us. That we get and connect. It's about love today. And in a real way, to choose to magnify God, especially uh, in times when we are asked how to respond to a new reality in our lives, has a lot to do with how we love. How do you love? How do you love today? How do you love this morning? And if anybody can understand what it means to respond to God in the midst of something that is unexpected, it was Mary. Because what she did is she actually faced with the, uh, the end of life as she knew it, when you think about it. And she responds by saying that she's going to rejoice and, and make God's love known to the world. We don't see the seriousness of what Mary had to go through. Her situation was far more dire than ours. She was the first person who was asked to respond to the Christmas story, but she wasn't the last. Because though we're called to participate in the Christmas story in a very different way than Mary was, we're still invited, interesting enough, into her story nonetheless. Luke provides us a, lev a level of detail about her and... We know that her dad's name was Eli. She had a sister named Salome, and she had a relative named Elizabeth. Mary was getting ready to be married. She was in love with Joseph. And if anybody knows about that time, if we can think back to the time when you got married, or if you're looking forward to getting married someday, it's usually a celebration. And in that celebration, I'm sure that Mary was thinking about who would be invited to her wedding, uh, the decorations maybe, the food, what she would do with out-of-town guests, and I'm sure she was consumed with all of that, and excited. 
about marrying Joseph. And then God steps in. Here she is, young. We know she's probably anywhere between 12 or 19 years of age. Everybody estimates that she was probably 16. Again, poor, but yet a devout believer in God. She's, like Sharon says, she's in love with this guy named Joseph. She's totally in love. And uh, God breaks in right at this point in her life. And, and, and sometimes I don't think we really grasp what is taking place. He's about to ask this unknown teenage girl to take part in something that is so shocking that it's total, totally unbelievable. And what God asks Mary to do will change her life forever and changes her story, especially the story that she had planned. And, and my question to you as you leave today is, how does the story of Mary affect you and your story? You know, especially during this season. How amazing is it that this young woman, no older than a teenager, would be the one that God chooses to help change the world? You have to almost imagine her horror and her surprise when she received the news. When the angel Gabriel shows up. It's almost like she's saying, you know, what are you talking about, angel? You know, you're calling me a favored one. I don't really understand. You know, who? Me? You, you must have the, the wrong person because God would never choose me. Think about that. How often have we heard those words actually come out of our own mouths? God, God would never choose me. And I imagine there's, there's more than one of us here who has thought, if not actually said those words out loud, right? God won't choose me. And why is that? What makes you less worthy to carry out a call of God on your life? This is actually, I believe, precisely how Mary felt. She couldn't believe what the angel was telling her at first because she couldn't probably accept her own worthiness. Most of us feel that way. It didn't take Mary very long to move from disbelief, though, to belief, which is quite interesting. Um, I know for sure I would have probably taken a whole lot longer than she did. Um, it's amazing how she just ponders the news when she encounters this angel and she just thinks of it a short while and then she looks at the angel and she says, all right, count me in, I'm in. And she'll do whatever God asks of her. Think about that. She didn't sleep on it. She didn't pray on it. Right? She didn't call her best friend. She didn't, you know, insist that she had to go talk to her mother or talk to her fiancé. She actually accepts this incredible invitation, and then she waits to see what happens next. Now, we see her actually stepping out in faith. That's the story. That's the story we read in Luke. Mary is stepping out in faith, and we realize that we're actually called to do the same kind of life-risking faith. Think about that. Without faith, Mary wouldn't have accepted the words of the angel Gabriel for her. She would have told God that she was, you know, I'm too young or I'm, I'm just not ready for this. She would have said no to God's great plan for her, her life. And, and of course, Jesus wouldn't have been born. But you got to think about that for a moment. That God relied on the faith of one young woman. And Mary, because of her faith, he was able to bring us his son, Jesus. She took that risk. And so I encourage you to step out in faith. When we respond to God the way that Mary did, 
she said basically, you know, may it be, let it be. Beatles song going through my mind, right? Let it be. Mother Mary said to me, let it be. Whisper words of wisdom. That was for her. Let it be to me. God's able to bring about the great things in our world as well when we submit to him. And it's a strange thing the way that God works. He's continually looking to find faithful followers to work through. He's looking for you. But of course, what do we say? We say, well, I'm not ready for this. I'm not, I'm not worthy. And, and, but when he does find you, he then uses our faith, when you think about it, to change the world. The story that he has laid out begins to get played out to save it. And he did it for Mary. He saves the world through her. He can do it for us as well. And I look at Mary, and actually Mary's a powerful witness. Really, she is. She's considered by some to be the first disciple, the ultimate role model of faith by many. You know, did the narrative happen as we, we read it today? You know, we, we don't know. We, you know, did she really agree that quickly? You know, how long did she have to wait and ponder on it? We're not quite sure because the, the story doesn't tell us. It seems to be a fairly immediate response. You know, how long before the Holy Spirit came upon her and, and uh, allowed her to conceive? We, we don't know. It doesn't say that. We're not sure of space and time when we read about the story, but we know for sure that she agreed to the miracle. She agreed. She submitted. She allowed God to work. She knew something almost instantly that sometimes it takes us much longer to realize. Even though she had agreed to do this miraculous thing, she, she knew that she couldn't do it alone. She'd have to get the courage to tell who? Joseph. She couldn't do it alone. She'd have to tell her family what was happening. Can you imagine? And, and, and again, it says, the scripture says, she pondered these things in her heart, you know. The angel's promise in verse 37 says, nothing shall be impossible with God. Other translations put it this way, or uh, the word of God will never fail. It's interesting. She had this concept that she could do anything with God's help. That God wasn't going to fail her. And so she takes this risk. Uh, the, the Guinness World Book of Records is interesting because they... Uh, uh, they record that the song White Christmas is the best-selling Christmas album of all time. Or best-selling uh, single, sorry. If you know the story behind the song White Christmas, you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Uh, 1940, Ber uh, Irving Berlin wrote that. Um, it becomes, it sold, it sold over 100 million copies in the 40s. By 1954, Bing Crosby arrives on the scene. He begins to sing it. That's where we get it in the movie White Christmas. That sold 50 million copies right there. Supposedly, when Berlin wrote this song, this is what he says to his secretary. Grab your pen, pen, take this down. I just wrote the best song I've ever written. Heck, I just wrote the best song that anybody's ever written. So the guy was a little bit cocky, but he knew he had a popular song. You know, some might suggest that the power of the White Christmas movie is in the songs. Most of us would recognize that it's actually something else. When you watch the movie White Christmas, and I don't know if you do, but when you do, and if you do, you'll see that the theme is not so much the music and the dance, which is all part of it. It's actually about love. 
There was a love and an affection for a commanding officer. There was a love of a good friend. There was love between sisters. There's obviously, as in every good movie, the love between a man and a woman. And a shared love, I will say, for music and dance as well. They're all love themes wrapped up into a movie that has drawn viewers, probably many of you in this room, for three quarters of a century, right? To watch this playful musical movie, whatever you want to call it. But the theme is still love. Love is a big idea, and most of us would like to believe and understand it, even though we're not very good at it. You don't have to affirm that, dear. I wasn't looking for that affirmation. We love those who are closest to us, right? We love those who are good to us. But then we struggle to love those who hate us, who are not like us, those who place demands on our lives. In fact, the term love is loose, used so loosely in our culture that it simultaneously expresses affection and affinity and preference and physical attention, emotional con connection, and perhaps least of all, mutual commitment. Love. But here, when we look into the scriptures on a silent night over 2,000 years ago, love is expressed in Luke chapter 2. That this will be a sign to you that you'll find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to on whom his favor rests. God's commitment to see an ancient promise come to life. A promise to right the wrongs of the world and to fix the greatest problem, which is that of the human heart. Sin. Sin. Sin is us missing the mark of responding to God's love for us. And we've talked about this the last four weeks. You know, since the Garden of Eden, we human beings have been looking for our own way, our own benefit in these, these short years given to us. Our time is so short. We hurt each other. We take from each other. When all along we're designed to experiencing God's giving love and then to redistribute that same love to other people. That's his design for us especially those who are very different from us. And God knew that love, that real love, modeled for us, revealed to us, just touching us, filling us, changing us, would fix the love problem of the human heart. And the, the plan was simple. He brings a child. What happens when a child comes into a room? What happens when a newborn baby comes into the room? Everybody loses their mind. You forget about everything. We were walking through the outlet mall, and they have a, a, a Santa Claus and a Mrs. Claus, and you can take pictures and selfies with them, right? And, and the other day, I was just watching, and I was watching this gorgeous little baby, you know, big round eyes, and sitting beautifully. And then, of course, the other ones after one, they lose it. But this one was just sitting there, and everybody's losing their mind. The parents are so proud. And, 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 and you just forget about everything else, the love of a child. How does Jesus enter? As a child, he'll be born. His name would mean the Lord saves. He would show us through his life exactly how to selflessly love one another. Read the scriptures. We see Jesus modeling that for us. Not only would Jesus show us how to love one another, he would also endure the most extreme expression of love by suffering and dying for us. Laying his life down for the world. Breaking the grip of sin and death over your life and mine. That's what he did. 
if we're going to be a part of this Christmas story as we roll up to it this week, we're called to make a hard choice. We're actually called to make a step of faith. And that step of faith, really when you think about it, when you think about the story, is actually to love. And, and I don't use that phrase hard choice lightly. Actually, it's, it's a difficult choice. I use it because loving this world, loving one another, actually when you think about it, requires something from us. To love one another requires something from me. It requires us to invest it in others. It requires us to give of ourselves. And most of all, love requires us to be willing to be changed. Have you thought about that this Christmas? When you think about all the Christmas shows and the main character often goes through some sort of transformation, right? It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey, he transforms. He finds hope again. The best one, Charlie Brown Christmas, right? Who doesn't love Charlie Brown Christmas? He learns what Christmas is all about. The list goes on. But when you think about it, as Christians, we're supposed to transform the world for good. And that's a tall order. It, it's hard to change the world without question. But we can do our best. We can work for good. We can pray for peace. But in the end, we find out an important truth. You can't create love for the world until you actually find love in yourself. And love changes us. Like, even the Christmas movies and TV shows know this. Charlie Brown, he finds his meaning in a sad little Christmas tree, despite the fact that the whole world has gone commercial. <laughs> no one understands Christmas and what it's about anymore, because the commercialism takes care. Clark Griswold, National Lampoon's Vacation. Christmas vacation. Clark just wanted a perfect Christmas, right? <laughs> I still have a picture of Eddie in the sewer, but, you know, Clark just wants that. He finds the love of his family despite just about everything has gone wrong in that movie. If we're really serious about Advent, if we're really serious about Christmas, if we're really serious about preparing our hearts for the coming of Christ, if we're truly using the season to focus on what is coming, there is no way that we won't be changed by it. That will be my encouragement to you. Can you be changed this Christmas? Maybe we won't, we won't have a big, miraculous, carol-filled Christmas morning, but inside our heart, if you listen closely, you'll hear change happening if you're open to God's Spirit to move within you and allow His love to fill us and to change us. And as powerful as that love is inside of us, it's even more powerful when you think about it, if we share it. What if in the face of all that we find troubling with this world, we showed the world what God's love really means? Who is brought into your life that needs to hear from you about the love of God? What if we showed somehow, some way, if we were just like Mary before God, before the angel, and said, just use me. What if we said that to God? God, just use me to show your love to somebody in my world today. Most of us, if not everybody in this room, has read or at least watched How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Do you remember how it starts? 
every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. <laughs> yeah. The Grinch hates celebrations, right? He hates the presents. He hates the whole thing. So he devised a plan to slip down into the town at night to bag up all the trappings of Christmas, right? And take all the presents. He wants to ruin Christmas, and he does. He does it beautifully. The next morning, he, he stands on the mountain waiting for the people to wake up and to be devastated. He returns all the things that he took, obviously. He's welcome back to the feast. And he even carves the roast beast, right? When he saw the love that the Who's had, he realized that the, the love that was inside of them couldn't be taken away. I think that's a beautiful part of this, this cartoon, this story, this movie. It was when he realized what it was all about that he was changed as well. He was changed as well. We're not Who's from Whoville. We're Christians. I trust that most of us here today are not. Although my heart does leap every time I say, good morning, sinners. We are people who spend this time of year preparing our hearts for the one who's yet to come. Jesus Christ is returning again. But in that process, we're to be transformed. We are to be transformed. We have something to share with the world. You have something to share with the world. God's Spirit is constantly speaking to us. Are we like Mary? Are we ready to say, let it be. Let's make it happen. I'm here. And this time of year, no matter what's happening around us, we're called to prepare our hearts to love anyway. We're asked to open them up. We're asked to get them ready to, to welcome, not just to welcome Christ into the world, but to share to others. But more than that, that's what we're called to do, is to love the world around us. Who is in your world that you need to love? Who is in your world that you need to bring a message of hope to? Who is in your world that God is just sort of speaking to you, saying, reach out, reach out, reach out? Because that's because Christ still comes into this world. Christmas still happens. It just doesn't happen once. It happens all the time because Christmas may be this, about the story that we read. It may be about Mary and Joseph and the baby and the manger and no room in the end, but that's not the end of the story, which is beautiful. The great Christmas story continually plays out. We're reminded every year that it always plays out. And the truly incredible thing is, is that you and I are invited onto the stage and we even get to choose our lines because remember the birth each birth has a story each one of us in this room has been born each one of you have a story and that story should be shared people need to hear your story and so as we prepare for Christmas Eve, which is just a few days from now, here's the big question. What's your script going to say? What's your story going to communicate? And my hope is that your script is going to be full of words. It's going to be full of actions as one who wants to magnify God, to live out Christmas. And I'm not talking about the commercialism. I'm talking about Christ. 
My hope is that it will be one of a person who has been transformed by the love of God and who now wants to love the world because of God. Can you honestly look in your heart and, and see love for others? Maybe you're here today and you're going, man, I just, I hate Christmas. I have to be honest. I'm, I'm not a big Christmas guy. I love Easter. I hate the rabbit, but I love Easter. But I get Christmas. And I get the importance of Christmas. And I'm always fascinated how a young, in my opinion, a 16-year-old girl took on a challenge that changed the world fascinated by it. Brings it into the world, the Son of God. Then has the responsibility to raise this little guy. Our little guys are great to raise. They're not little anymore. But there's, yeah, two of them are still at home. We got to deal with that somehow. I, uh, but even, even the other two that moved out, they're still our kids. And yeah, we still got to raise them. Yeah. I don't know. One of the best Christmas gifts I got this year is that I'm going to be a grandpa again. Woo! And it's a boy! The name keeps going. That's just another story. The story of Jesus is that we see that love is constant and it's sacrificial. It never changes. It never fails. It never keeps, this is love, right? It doesn't keep a record of wrong. Love always perseveres. It always withstands our greatest failures and our greatest successes. It reminds us we are loved because of who we are. Not what we do. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. And Jesus is ready to take our imperfections, our mistakes, into his healing hands. And maybe that's you right now. I don't know. I don't know what you walked into this morning. But he's here. His presence is here. And I always have to ask, maybe you need to surrender yourself to that love. Because that becomes the true story of Christmas. That's Christ's love for you. That will teach you to love more fully than what you've ever known. The Grinch, Scrooge, Charlie Brown, George Bailey, all the rest. They're great stories. They are. They're entertaining, right? Elf, best. Die hard, of course. But so is yours. So is yours, people. Your story's amazing. And maybe you don't feel like it. That's all right. You have a story. And if you open your heart to the love of Christ this year, your story is going to get really good. It's going to get really good, and, and people will need to hear it. And you know what? Take a look at our world, because our world can use some good stories right now. Right? People need to hear your story. If you're a believer, people need to hear the hope that you have. This is a great time to do it at Christmas. Love is the essential ingredient in Christmas. It's practical. It's sacrificial. It's love.
It's the Christmas quest of every heart when you think about it. To love, to be loved unconditionally, and to love one unconditionally in return. That's the desire of every heart. And the Christmas story, the story that we celebrate every year, assures us that we begin our lives loved and we will end our lives loved by God himself. At the very simplest, when we look at the Christmas story, and that some of you might need to hear this, it's about God pursuing you and healing you. Healing you. Maybe you need to ask God to help you surrender to his love and to show you how to live in love towards others. I like what Ephesians 5, 2 says. It says, and walk in the way of love. As believers, he's, Paul's writing to us, walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. In other words, we're to be like Jesus. When you leave this place today, you need to be like Jesus. In your family gatherings, when you get together with those who rub you the wrong way, be like Jesus. Right? When you go shopping, maybe you're a last minute shopper, just be like Jesus. Especially in the parking lot at Costco. <laughs> be like Jesus. Maybe somebody's here today Go, I, I just need love. Maybe you're like Scrooge, right? You know, your heart's really tiny. I kind of say that tongue-in-cheek, but I also know that sometimes people will identify with the characters that we see in movies and on TV. And you, you, when you do a soul-searching, you recognize that's, that's what I need. Well, this morning, I want to be able to pray for you. Maybe you want to take out your phone. Up on the screen is going to come a phone number, and you just text the word soul to that. That's our pastoral care number. Joanne, who, who lit the candles today, is the one behind that phone number. She's our pastoral care pastor. She would love to pray with you, love to talk to you. Maybe you just need to talk during this time. We did our blue Christmas on Thursday. Maybe you missed it. Maybe it's still blue. Maybe you're still in that spot, but we want to be able to help you. We want to be able to walk with you. We want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. Maybe you want to make a decision for Christ today. I have a little book here. It's called My New Life with Jesus in a New Testament that I'm willing just to get. This is my present to you, our present to you. Pastor Jordan McClellan will be standing just to my right here at this cross. He'll have a number of these. If you want to come and just introduce yourself to him and say, I'd really like to have that book that he was talking about. We'll gladly give it to you. It's free. Wow. It's to help you in your spiritual walk. There's a need in our community, not just our world, but in our community for people to find the freedom of Jesus and the love of Jesus. And the fact is, if you identify yourself as a believer, we don't need an angel to grab our attention. The Holy Spirit has already got our attention. And he's just saying, look at you have a story. Will you share it? You have a story, people. Will you share it? And remember what I've said, God's love language is obedience. How do we obey God? Just by doing what the scriptures do. It's just sharing. Just sharing love with other people. Maybe it's through listening. Maybe it's maybe buying something and, and taking some, cooking something and taking over to a neighbor in need. I don't know. I don't know what the Spirit is speaking to you, but I do know He is speaking. The question is, are we listening? In the new year, I said this to a 
some of my staff. I believe in this so strongly that I'll be personally leading an alpha course, a starting point course, whatever you want to call it. And I'm going to invite you to bring your non-believing friends and family members to come apart and let's just lead people to Jesus. Bring them to the place where they have to make their own decision. I'm inviting you about your story to start working on it now so that we can bring people to experience the freedom that Christ offers. That's, that's Christmas. Forget all the other movies, all the other shows. Christmas is the birth, the new birth of our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I realize that your mission is all about love. And you love us so much that you gave us the most precious one in the universe, which is your son, Jesus Christ. This season is a season of giving, but it can also be tainted by, by selfishness, by greed, and by despair. Keep us away from the thieves that would steal the message and the joy of Christmas. And surely you did. You taught us to love one another. May we live this life you've given us fully in loving you and loving one another. Why don't you stand with me? Turn around, look at somebody. Give them a high five, give them a holy kiss, whatever your you know thing is. <laughs> holy kiss. Shake somebody's hand, give them a hug. Yeah, hugs, I don't know. Sarcasm's my hug, just letting you all know. Loosen up a little bit. You all have a story, right? You all have a story. A baby's been born. We lose our minds over babies. Remember that this Christmas. Lose your mind. Be enthralled with the new baby. Be enthralled with Jesus. So in ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. So soul sanctuary. Now, I hope you're here on Christmas Eve. But if you don't make it, please be people of love. Let love live in your heart and share the love of Christ with all that you meet. Share love by loving those you see regularly. Start by loving your community. Share love by loving those you don't know. And share love by praying for our world. This Advent season, soul, we need to see, we need to feel, and we need to share love. Amen? And so as you go, go into the wonder of God's creation. Share love, share joy, share peace and hope with all that you meet. Amen? Be blessed. And if we don't see you on Christmas Eve, Merry Christmas. God bless you.